Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Okay, uh, if you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor on the teaching team. Super glad that you're with us. We're in our sermon series studying Jonah. If you have your Bible, grab it. We'll be in Jonah chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 17. Uh, before we, we read that, uh, we have a few special announcements. Is Kayla Langston, our kids minister, our uh, kids minister is back. So we just want to give a, if you see her, give her a round of applause. She had baby Hutton. And um, man, we're just so glad that she's back because um, she is a familiar face. She loves the, ki- loves the kids and loves the gospel. And so uh, if you see her, just welcome her back. Uh, secondly, we are going to two gatherings on April 17th. So April 17th is Easter. Yep. Come on. So <laughs> we need you to help to get to two gatherings uh, in two ways. One, uh, we need you to step up and, and serve. So if you're serving, we're so grateful for you. Uh, it's necessary for us to bring the gospel each weekend, to have a gathering. It takes people to serve, uh, that, that love Jesus, that love this mission, that want to welcome people in hospitality, uh, to help out in AVL, uh, and particularly in kids. We, we have lots of kids, and that's a, a huge praise because we have to gospel these kids. So we don't, we don't treat this as, as daycare. It's not daycare back there. We are gospeling them. Uh, and tell them about uh, Jesus because they're little humans that, that have struggles and pains and, and, and confusions. And we get, to have a, we get to speak truth over them. We get to pray for them. And so uh, if you're not volunteering and you consider this your church home, we, we need you. That's, that's, that's the, um, uh, just the, the hope of communicating this, that you'd step up. And you can even uh, put on the connection card this morning, hey, I want more information on on serving in kids or wherever the Lord may have you. Number two is we need you to invite people. Uh, we are not a big marketing church, and that's what well, we are. We are in the marketing of you sharing with your friends, your family, your neighbors, uh, maybe what the Lord's done for you here. Uh, we are simple on purpose because we think the Word of God is crystal clear. It's always about Jesus. And every time we gather, we're going to open the Word of God and point to uh, the beauty of Christ uh, in the gathering and in kids, and we do that in our students as well. But y- you are God's plan A to reach people. Uh, and there's other churches, and we love them, and they're hopefully preaching the gospel. Uh, but if you're part of this church, an invitation goes a long way as we go to two gatherings uh, to just let people know, hey, that, that we'd love uh, for them to be here. So that's coming up, two gatherings, April 17th. Uh, there'll be more information to come, but Two things we just want on your radar, and two, if you consider serving. Uh, Jonah 1, 11 through 17, if you are a, a note taker, um, the sermon title is The Journey to Grace. The Journey to Grace. We'll read Jonah 1, uh, 11 through 17. It says this, then they, then they said to him, what shall we do to you, uh, to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more uh, tem- tempestuous. I, I, I even practiced that beforehand. It's a tough word for me. Uh, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more 
tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done uh, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, uh, it says this, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let me pray, and we're going to jump in. God, I thank you for this word. I pray um, as your word goes out that your spirit would give life. It would give life uh, to understand the grace that you provide us in Jesus. God, I pray that we would be convicted of areas that we're not trusting you in, not walking in light of grace, or maybe not even experience grace. I pray this would be a time and space where we can know you and who you really are and just our need for you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so set the table. If you haven't been here uh, in Jonah, Jonah is a, a prophet of Israel. Uh, and, and, and Jonah is an interesting book because it's, a, it's, a, it's in the prophets, but it's a, it's a book really pointed at Jonah. Uh, so in the very beginning, God comes to Jonah and gives him a word. So this prophet gets a word from God to, to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the, the enemy of Israel. Uh, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. These are people that are pagans, they're sinful, they do wicked things. And, and Jonah gets a word from God, I want you to go to there and speak judgment. Now, Jonah's a smart guy. If God just wanted to execute judgment, what could he do? He would just judge them, right? He'd just, he'd just throw, throw down judgment. So he knows that God is merciful, he even says that in chapter 4, and kind. Uh, and so he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because he doesn't want them to experience the mercy of God, the kindness of God. So he is, um, we've, we've talked about even some week, he's very happy with his nation. He would be even uh, in politics because he was kind of the right hand to the king at the time. And he did not want a, an enemy to thrive, uh, a political foe um, to, to thrive. And so he brought a one-way ticket to, to not Nineveh and, and goes uh, to Tarshish. So Tarshish is kind of like the opposite of the known world. So he's like wanting to fall off the face of the earth, if you will. Right, I'll do anything besides what you want, God, because I don't see how this fits uh, into my world, into our national power, and I'm unwilling to do uh, what you're saying. And so we really define sin because it's interesting because Jonah running from God is the definition of sin, not, not wanting to obey God, not wanting the presence of God. He even says that he's running from the presence of God. Uh, we can do that by not obeying God, not, not wanting to surrender to God, not wanting to trust God. And so sin, hear me, is not just doing bad things. I think that's the category of the church and unchurch, right? Who are the good people? The people who do good things. Here, Jonah is always doing good things. He's, he's a prophet of God. He's keeping the Ten Commandments. So this definition of sin is helpful for a lot of us. Why? Because you could be doing all the right things, even good things, a morally upright person, and still what? Be operating in sin, which is be running from God, not, not submitting to him. So in this story, what happens is a great storm comes upon uh, the ship that Jonah's in. And so now uh, the, the, the sailors and Jonah are in this boat with a great, a great, a great storm, and, and uh, it's threatening to 
uh, break, up, break up the ship. So if you haven't been here, that's the story of Jonah. And everyone's like, well, I know the story of Jonah, Scott. You should have just jumped in. But if you didn't, maybe that was helpful. Um, the, the major point that I keep, want to bring you, I keep wanting to bring you back to, that God keeps bringing me back to, is if Jonah is missing grace, could I be missing grace? If Jonah is not operating under the grace of God being a preacher, could you be missing on the grace of God? I think we cannot assume the grace of God. And as soon as we do, we'll miss it. It's so slippery. And so this thing has been so challenging for me. This person is so near God. He's near God. Speaks on behalf of God, perhaps doesn't even know God. If that doesn't make you think or, or challenge or have conviction, uh, it should, right? So my point is um, you can learn from grace today because Jonah, a person who's supposed to be schooled, even a speaker of grace, wasn't even understanding it. So the first area that I want to look at um, in this journey to grace, the sermon title, Journey to Grace, if we're going to have a journey to grace this morning, as Jonah's having a journey to grace in this, in this book, is there has to be a journey to humility, a journey to humility. So it says uh, in this text, if, if you've been here uh, throughout the sermon, uh, that Jonah does not care for, for, for this Syrian people. Again, he is a political activist. He is, he is an Israelite. He does not want another nation to thrive, particularly that pagan nation, uh, Assyria. So that's why he's running. And so in a way, uh, he, he, he does not value um, the, the Assyrians as humans. They're lesser than humans. They don't deserve grace. They don't deserve to know God. And so what does he do? He runs. Now, uh, what's interesting is uh, in, in this story, he, God puts him in a boat with who? A bunch of pagans. This is like a prototype of people that he, he discusses and despises. Uh, and so, if you will, the Assyrian people are the sailors. They're pagans. They don't know God. They call it to their own gods uh, when the storm hits. So he has a disdain and disgust for the people that are in, in the boat with him. So as this uh, storm com comes about, uh, what is he doing? He's sleeping in the boat. Like he is so indifferent, one to God, but also to these pagan people that are around them. So one way that you see Jonah in his pride, thinking of people, uh, you know, he's only thinking of himself, he is completely indifferent. Like the ship is threatening to break apart and he doesn't care at all. He's, he's finding himself fast asleep at the bottom of the boat. So we see uh, Jonah's indifference in his pride. We also, uh, which I mentioned briefly, that he runs, he runs from, from Nineveh, which gets him uh, in, 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 in the boat. But another thing that makes us, when we disdain people, operate in pride, we want to distance ourselves from people. And so anyone that we are prideful in, that we think we're better in, one, we will, we will distance ourselves from them. We are better than them. So I don't know if you have a category of people like, I'm better than them. I run from them. I can't even be around them. Uh, jo Jonah feels that way. Uh, then he's very indifferent. He finds himself asleep. He doesn't care what's happening to them, right? The, the boat's going to break up. They're going, they're going to die. And he doesn't, he, it, didn't, it doesn't even rattle him. And then the sailors go get him because they're crying out to their gods. Their gods aren't doing anything. 
And he says, and they, they talk to Jonah, like, why don't you call to your God? And what's so interesting, Jonah didn't even answer him the first time they talked, uh, as they talked to him. The captain's like, asked him, like, call out to your God, and he doesn't even say a word, doesn't even respond. And so the next thing you see is just this, this, like this indifference, but ignorance. It's like, you know, your problems are not my problems. I don't even, he didn't even want to understand where those people were coming from. And then and he finally answers some questions about as they find out that he's running from God and the storm is caused by him. They ask him a list of questions, and he finally answers, and he starts with, I am a Hebrew. He just starts off like, I'm better than you. I, I, I sit on a plane above you. And so he, he talks out of self-righteousness. This is Jonah's response in his pride. So he needs to have a journey to humility. Another way you could say it, he needs to have a journey to seeing people as his humanity, as, as, as people of equal value and significance. It says this in James 3.9, which is super convicting. It says, with it, this is our mouth, our tongue, with it we bless our Father, our, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And it goes on to say in James, like, this is impossible. Like, how could you, as we, as we sing, as we praise, as we speak God's word, then go on to curse, be indifferent, to be self-righteous um, towards others? It, it, unfortunately, the church is made up of Jonah's. Unfortunately, my heart is very like Jonah, that we have been known not for our compassion and kindness to humanity, but our indifference, our self-righteousness, our detest, our running away from, that we got it together in here, that we, we, we're, we're the ones that have, have it figured out. Really, the journey to Christianity is like, we're the ones that need all the help. This is a hospital for sinners, but how often is the church known as people are, that are hospital for sinners, but we're, we're a group of people that usually gather out of self-righteousness, just like Jonah. Now, if we're going to have a journey towards humility, really, of, of a humbling ourselves or seeing ourselves rightly, um, we're going to have to have some things that happen to Jonah. So Jonah's sitting on this other level of pride. He thinks he's far better and is not op un operating under the, the grace of God, but under the self-righteousness of his, his, his Jewishness, of being a prophet, of being a moral person. Um, now he finds himself in a boat, um, running from God, and this, this, this storm is upon him. And then in verse 7, uh, we read this, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So in this, this case, um, Jonah is running from God, Storm is brought on, uh, on Jonah and the sailors because of his sin. They cast lots, which is simply kind of dies to say, Who's this? Who, who is this? Falls on Jonah. And so we find out in verse 7, and the sailors find out that Jonah's the problem. The reason why this storm is happening is this man. Now, now if, you know, if you identify the problem, you can now start to journey towards a solution. So if you can imagine, if I was in the boat, and, and, well, if you were in the boat, if you know this person's the reason why this storm is happening, I would not be very kind to this man. I would be uncompassionate to this man. I may even throw him out by myself, right? I mean, I don't need to ask him, hey, what should I do with you? I'd be unkind because I, I am now in peril because of this man. But listen to the sailor's treatment of Jonah. I just told you Jonah's treatment of the sailors. Now listen 
to the sailors' treatment of Jonah. These are the, the pagans, the unreligious, the people not representing God. They don't, they, they don't throw him overboard right away. They don't, they don't try to accuse him. Verse 8, it, they just simply ask him questions. Like, what is your occupation? What are you doing? Who are you that this storm is coming upon you? They, they ask him concerning questions. Why are we in this predicament if it's because of you? Verses 12 and 13, it's so interesting. He's like, if it's because of you that this storm is upon us, what should we do? And he says, I want you to pick me up and hurl me into the sea, in verse 12, and the sea will quiet down for you. Um, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now listen, verse 13, if that's what they said to me, of course he could be delusional, but I'd probably throw that guy out anyway, right? Because he's saying, I want to die. It's because of me. Get out of the boat. We want to live. But that's not what they did. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They didn't, they didn't want this guy to die, but they could not for, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on, lay on us innocent blood for you. So it's interesting. Um, they, they weren't harsh. They didn't, they didn't judge. They, they asked questions. It says they rode harder. Why? Because they wanted to protect him. He was the solution, but they wanted to protect him. They even say in verse 14, innocent blood. They valued human life. Did, did Jonah value human life? Did, it, did, it, did Jonah value their lives? Absolutely not. But in this moment of these pagans, these sinners, were offering him compassion, offering him as a human, Jonah has a moment of clarity, of humility. He's starting to see himself rightly. Now, we're not going to get to a journey to grace for him in, 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 the, in the fullest sense uh, until next week. But he has a moment of clarity in, in this humility, uh, a journey, uh, what I'd say is towards being a human, humanity. In verse 12, listen to what it says. Because at this point, he wanted nothing to do with them. He's at sleep. He's not doing anything. But verse 12, he says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea, and the sea will quiet down what? For you. For the first time in verse 12, he's considering someone else besides himself. He says, why, why would I be cast into the sea? He says, for you. I'm actually thinking of these pagans before myself at this point. And then he goes, for I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. If we're going to have a humility, a journey towards humility, which is a, a journey towards grace, the first thing is you you have to have a mind, you have to have a mind, a glimpse of other people beside yourself. You got to start looking at other people as humans, the dignity, value, and respect. It doesn't matter what their sin is, they're still humans. And this is this moment, they said, I'm willing to do this for you. And then it says, because of me, if you're really going to have grace, and certainly Jonas is on this journey towards grace, being a preacher. He says this in that, that, that verse 12, because of me, there's a human responsibility. He's seeing, he's not, he, for a moment, he's not blaming anyone else for the circumstance he's in, but this is because of what? Me. If you're going to have a journey towards grace, it has to come with humility. You have to start thinking of other people beside yourself, and you have to have a responsibility that you are in the, in the boat, if you will, that you are in because of who? Yourself. Yourself. Now, Jonah... 
has now had kind of quite the change of tune because in essence, what he's saying is, you sailors are dying for me, but it's me that should be dying for you. It's a sweet moment of humility and honesty where he's taking responsibility for where he's at and he's actually looking at others as humans. Now, a journey towards grace is not only one that is one that sees humility or humanity, <laughs> frankly, your own, your own need, but two, a journey towards grace is to see costly love as beautiful. To see it as beautiful. Um, sin is costly. This is why they say, throw me into the sea. I'm, I'm, I, there's a consequence for, for the, the sin. Uh, it, see, sin is costly and the price is costly love. See, when we, when we run from God and we sin against God, we're sinning against a righteous holy God and we're not only separated from him, but we're rebelling against his word, the very fabric of our world and it, 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 everything starts to unravel. When you run from God, everything unravels. Sin separates. There's a cost for sin. That's why it says in Scripture, ultimate, the, the, the penalty of sin is what? Death. That's the wages of sin. What you've earned is death. Now, we know this. We know this. Um, on, not, it's a biblical truth, but we know this on a worldly front. It's, it's a, every society knows this. So let me give you an example. If you steal something small, if you just steal something small, like, for instance, someone stole my stapler uh, at, at work. I didn't like it. It made me mad. And... It, um, it separated me for that, from that person for a while. And, and what that meant was, is I don't trust that person very much. Someone that steals, I don't think is very trustworthy. Why? Because sin separates. Now, if you talk to me about someone gossip-wise, you know what you're telling me is I can't trust you, right? Because sin separates. Because if you're talking to me about someone else, it's telling me about you. That may be true of that person, but you're revealing your own character. Why? Because sin separates. So it may not be a costly sin, but there is a costly sin in the sense that you're breaking trust. And now, now let's just take that down. If it goes beyond stealing a staple or paper clips, whatever your, your thing is, you may not just lose trust. The cost is not just trust. If you steal a car, you're going to spend time, what, in jail, right? Because what? When you, when, you, when you sin, there's a consequence for that sin, and you're going to have a separation probably from society. Uh, if you not only gossip and lie, but if you commit perjury uh, in, in a trial, what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself, what? In jail. Sin separates. Now, the truth, if we're going to see really grace rightly, is that sin is very costly and sin separates us from God. It separ separates from God, but man, that costly love is beautiful. So many people don't like the cross. Why? Because they don't understand sin. They don't understand the nature of sin, and they don't see the beauty of costly love. Now, costly love, substitutionary love is absolutely beautiful. It's breathtaking. Um, substitutionary love is love that, that it will meet, it'll meet the needs of a loved one, no matter the cost to oneself. That, that will move you. If, if you're willing to give... Um, ultimate sacrifice at the cost of yourself for, of a loved one, no matter the cost, <laughs> that's transforming love. That's a beautiful love. Um, Always Kid with Marcy, um, there's, I think it's an Alan Jackson song, to try to describe spousal love as, uh, as tall, tall trees and all the waters in the seas. What am I telling her? I'm telling her, it doesn't matter what the cost is 
I'm in on you. Now, that's, that's silly, but it's a, it's a moving, costly love that's supposed to be a costly love, or, and it's a spousal love. It actually says in Scripture that a man should give up his life for his wife, just as Christ gave up his life for the church. Another one that's beautiful, if you've ever seen a parent-child, but particularly a mother-and-child relationship, uh, it's sacrificial and costly love. There's nothing more beautiful. I mean, literally, they give up... <laughs> I wrote down body, their time, their energy, their life. Why? For another. It's the most beautiful relationship in all the earth. Honestly, I'm surprised of how many people are actually living in the world. I mean, if you know what it takes to rear a baby, it is shocking how many people have actually made it. But that is a proof to the costly, beautiful love uh, of a mother. Now, this love, this, this love transforms all stories are made up of this costly substitutionary love. You can go from Braveheart to, to Frozen. Both have one theme in common. They're giving up their life for others. It's simply speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's moving. It's beautiful. Uh, we're doing a lot of leadership development here at the door, and we always want to try to grow and um, Brad was recommending a book, and Simon Sinek, I'm sure a lot of you heard, heard of him. He's like trying to get the art of leadership, and sometimes I think these guys are funny. But he's very passionate, uh, and he, he came out with the book, Leaders Eat Last. And he's trying to understand. He's trying to, trying to come up with a, a thing or saying to, to, to what it means to be a great leader. And he, he's having trouble writing words or speaking it. Then he saw a picture of a mom laying over a child during a shooting. He's like, that's it. That's leadership. Uh, someone who's willing to put down their life over another's life, that's true leadership. What is that speaking of? Someone willing to give their life for another. All, all true love that transforms is costly love. And this is, this is what Jonah's doing, in a sense, in this story at this point. Jonah, at this point, is saying, I'm going to willingly take the wrath, the wrath of these waves so you don't have to. For these pagans, the people that he hates, he's now willing to enter these, these, these treacherous waters, why? To, to bring a stillness. Now, jo- Jonah is, is an ultimate pointer to who? Jesus. And I'm not making this up because the Bible tells us so much. In Matthew verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 41, it says, the men of Nineveh will rise up uh, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and, be- and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah was willing to sacrifice his life for, for these, these, these sailors and ultimately go, go to Nineveh, eventually, as we'll find out. But Jesus, this is a point of Jesus, that Jesus would give his life for us. See, this is costly love. The true love that changes is really Christ's love, that the righteous would give up his life for who? For the unrighteous, the rebellious, the sinner. It says in Mark 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve. And what? Give his life as a ransom for many. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this costly love. We deserve the wrath of God. Our sin has separated us from the very presence of God. What's the good news is that Jesus Christ, he came in. 
and willingly gave his life for us. Verse 16 is so interesting. We're gonna get to uh, right before it here in a second. But verse 16 says, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So Jonah at this point in the story is they tried a row, they couldn't get in, they throw him over. Verse 16, it says, when they saw the waves stop and Jonah willingly giving up his life for their life, what does it say? It says, these men feared the Lord exceedingly. They've experienced a costly love, a beautiful love, sewing up, giving up their life for their life, and it made them fear the Lord exceedingly. See, they're having an awestruck moment, a breathless moment, a worship moment, and they call it to Yahweh. These pagan people became believers. Why? Because they saw the costly love of Jonah. It says they call out to the Lord. I mean, when you see the beauty of Christ and that he laid down his life for you, it should take your breath away that God would become man and die for me, a sinner, a wretched sinner, should leave you breathless. It's the most beautiful love <laughs> that can be known. And it's the most transforming love that could ever be. So a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of people think church, they think church was like, I'm, I'm bad, now I gotta be good. And that's not true. Really, becoming a Christian is you are bad. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty, and it's beautiful. And when you see that transforming love that he gave up his life for your life, man, it changes you from the inside out. It's not that you have to be good anymore, but it's his work that starts to change you from the inside out. Now, this is what ministered me the most, and I want to end here. A journey towards grace is not only one to seeing costly love is beautiful, but a journey towards grace is to, to sit under the peace of God. The banner of truth, that you have peace with God. And so this is where that's at in this uh, story. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah. They picked up Jonah um, and hurled him into the sea. Now listen, and the sea ceased from raging. It's raging. This is so beautiful, it's hard to describe. There is a raging storm that is breaking up their ship, is taking them down. Jonah is thrown into the sea. And what happens immediately? It stops. No more waves. No more wind. No more, no more rain. There's just serenity, calm, and peace. At one moment, rage and wrath. Another moment, serenity and peace. At one moment, as soon as he hit those waves, it's done. Now, when you look at the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ on the cross, before he breathed out his last breath, you know what he said? It is finished. And he breathed out his last breath and he died. See, God is angry at sin and we are all sinners. That's the truth. There's wrath and condemnation pointed at sinners. But because of the payment of Christ, at one moment, there is no more wrath of God for those in Jesus Christ. Not even a little bit, but only the peace of God that surrounds your heart and life for the rest of your life because Jesus paid in full. That's why it says in Romans 8.1 that there, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so here's my plea to you this morning. If you're in Christ at one moment, you became a sinner to a son, a sinner to a son. At one moment, the wrath of God to the very peace of God. 
From one moment, the very judgment, the judgment of God, there is no more condemnation of God. That's called atonement. And if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're forgiven for past, present, and future sin. You only, you have the banner of forgiveness on your life that you cannot outrun or hide. And so if you have guilt, if you have shame, if you have pain, if you have mourning, like you come under this truth that Jesus has paid in full and there's only peace for you. Only peace for you. Why? Because of Christ, the precious blood of Jesus Christ paid in full what we could never pay. Some of us don't live under the banner of truth that we're forgiven and we're beloved and we are known and we have the peace of God. That's true. We believe the lies of Satan, of guilt, shame, and condemnation, and that is not from the Spirit of God nor the Word of God. That's from Satan himself. We got to rewire our brains with the very truth of God that we are forgiven and we're beloved. And you need to hear this. Some people can't forgive themselves, but hear me, God has forgiven you. He gave his son for you. Don't sit in shame, don't sit in guilt, don't wallow in your sin, but come into the forgiveness of Jesus through faith. Let the peace of God surround your heart, mind, and life. And the way you do that is by surrendering, by confessing, as as these sailors did. They set an example. They stood and feared God. How could God love me this much? That's the appropriate response. How could God love me so much? And and they they made a a commitment. They vowed to the Lord. So we're going to have a time where we're going to to sing some beautiful songs about these things. I, I pray, even as I pray, but as we sing, that you would profess this out loud, because we're going to sing them, but you would actually believe them in your heart, that you would take these truths and allow the Spirit of God to knit that to your identity, saying, this is who I am because of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray as we respond in worship and confession that the Spirit of God would make these truths of Christ and knit them into our minds, our hearts, our lives, and let this be our identity, that you would take away guilt, shame, and replace it with joy, with peace, with the forgiveness that's bought. And Jesus Christ, God, help us individually experience grace. We're going to have to have a journey towards humility, that we're not better than anyone. We're going to have to have a journey towards seeing the costly grace for our costly sin, and that we could have a journey to really sitting under the fountain of the peace of God that comes through the cross of Christ. Help us behold the beauty of Christ in particular ways individually but corporately that we be a people sitting under the banner of the truth that we are forgiven and loved and known that we would be defined by our past, our guilt, our shame, or even our future. But we, we let the word of God be, be the, the standard of reality that we are going to live forever, that we're going to have resurrection. Although our, our bodies are failing, we're going to have a new resurre- resurrected body, new heavens, new earth. Help our minds be renewed about the realities that is ours in Jesus. I ask that in his name. Amen.